You'll sack me. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, this is my podcast. I own this. <laughs> Without me, ed- you'd be nothing. Mitch, you're my editor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, people, hello, and how many times have you laid awake at night thinking, what is peat and how does it affect whiskey? A recent study amongst whiskey drinkers showed that this was the main cause of insomnia within the whiskey community. So Daz and I have taken it upon ourselves today to address this topic head on. My name is Mitch Beshard, and if you've been living under a whiskey rock and have only just stumbled across the hottest whiskey podcast in the world, then you probably found Whiskey Cast and came here by accident. But you will be lucky enough to hear the magical sounds of the one and only Daz Haldane, one of the most beloved sons within the whiskey industry. That's a nice, uh, that's a nice intro, mate. Thanks very much. I felt like a hype man in in Vegas there. Yeah, it was a proper hype man moment. Well, look, it's (laughs) always a chore and very rarely is it a pleasure here looking at your fine self and listening to your voice. Um, Yeah, looking forward to getting into this topic. We touched on this in the last episode, didn't we? Uh, The one before before Stuart. Yep. Got into a little bit of peat chat and... um, yeah, kind of. I was reminiscing actually a little bit because we did quite a lot of work on this back in the day at Highland Park and um, even at Diageo as well, out on the Peat Hill and Island things. So that mm-hmm. oh, was really good. But we've got a special guest today as well. Uh, we've brought in uh, Mariella Romano, who looks after all things lag, works on Aaron as well, which is great. And she's going to be talking a little bit about their kind of peated content and their whiskies as well. So to celebrate peated whiskey today, I thought we could have a wee dram, Mitch. I hope you've got Indeed, something smoky in your glass. Are you, are you, uh, who's going to show first? You, you, show me you go. Yeah, show okay. me yours. So I've got... And then I'll show you mine. Um, I bought this actually when I was on Isla. Um, mm-hmm. This is the Lagavulin 11-year-old, the Nick Offerman edition, which has been finished in Guinness casks. Nice. So nice. I'm having a wee drama of that. That, really uh, like that, this, caused, that caused... A lot of people were talking about that, weren't they, when that one came out? It, it, it seemed to... I don't really know who Nick Offerman is. If I'm, I know what well, Guinness That's because you never watch any telly, mate. Mm-hmm. He's, he's quite a famous comedian. I'd say more so over in the US. Than How he is famous? Is he more famous than Billy Connolly? Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far, but it depends where you are. I'd say he would be if you're in the US. Mm-hmm. Because so he's a big name. Remember, big name. I, I don't know if I ever told you the story about when I met Billy Connolly. No, and no. I came back. It was my first day with Glenn Fiddick, and I met him in a pub. And I came back to the office at uh, William Grant & Sons in, in the middle of New York, really excited, telling everyone, and everyone was like, who the fuck is Billy Connolly? Mm. I, was, I was shocked. So I suppose if it was the other way around that I'd met Nick, Nick Offerman, then they would have been like, holy shit, you met Nick Offerman. But yeah, kind of big, big uh, comedian. Parks and Recreation is, is big kind of thing. He did a lot of stuff with Lagavulin. So hence the reason he had his own bottling. And the story with that is his dad loved Guinness. So for the first time, I believe it was the first time uh, Lagavulin used X Guinness casks to finish this off. Lovely. So, Brilliant. Really nice, nice little nice. drama, actually. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm, I've gone for a little Jura. Uh, it was actually uh-huh. one of the one of the island casks that we did, one of the distillery casks, which was 100% peated, and it was a full maturation in sherry. So all in, basically nothing like Jura <laughs> in essence, but it was really, really tasty, and it had this lovely, like, smoky, meaty quality to it because of that combination of heavy smoke and sherry, which you obviously get a lot of in Lagavulin as well. That's a nice combination too. So, yeah, yeah very, very I- tasty stuff. 
I tried that actually. I think either you gave me it or Mark Bruce gave me it yeah, when yeah. I was on Jura. But I'd like to see Jura do more of that because I thought that was that was great. I think there's an opportunity, isn't there? I mean, we talk about distilleries that have got not a, a, not a peated house style, but run peated programs. A lot of distilleries yeah. now do that, don't they? Because of blending purposes, or yeah, like like Brew Clary, you you know you you go there and you can try Poor Charlotte, for example, which is you know delicious stuff too. Um, and it's an ongoing skew. Optimore as well. It's yeah. There's a few distilleries with that going on. And then you see the opposite going on in Speyside. You've got Balvenie, Glenfiddich now doing peated. You've also got Ben Reich doing peated. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're getting that that sort of juxtaposition. And I suppose it's messing about with regionality, and, and which is a good thing, right? I mean, you don't always want to say like a certain flavor profile comes out of region. You want to have to have a bit of variety going on there, you know? Yeah, I think as time and innovation goes on, the regions do become less important. But they're a good starting point, aren't they, to sort of yeah. generally speak. But anyway, okay. on to the subject of Pete, right? I thought we would tee this up and get into this before we get into all the other amazing parts of the show that we've lined up for all you guys today. So let's get back to, back to basics here and discuss what Pete is. Now, whenever I'm doing this in a tasting, Daz, I don't know about you, but I always kind of stumble across the description of what Pete is, right? So I, I literally like find this online and I quite like it. I'm going to read this verbatim um, just so we get it in. So in short, it is made from molasses. Sorry. It's not made from molasses. Molasses. <laughs> you, which document were you reading? <laughs> the rum document. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Let's, let's start it again, shall we? Yeah. In short, it's made from mosses and plants that have been decomposed over tens of thousands of years without the presence of oxygen. The result is the waterlogged acidic conditions which it slowly develops. When dug up and dried, it becomes combustible. In whiskey production, dried peat is used to smoke malting barley, ensuring that the phenols in the smoke are infused into the spirit that emerges from the casks at the end of the whiskey-making process. Well done. I need, I need to learn that just yeah, yeah. To, to spew that off whenever ever anyone asks what peat is, because I think that's a really good description. But here, so there's two things here. Where one is decomposing vegetation over yeah. thousands of years, right? Um, doesn't have to be tens of thousands of years. Um, it can be four or five thousand years before it's peat. And I think I think the thing is here is is that vegetation, that decomposing vegetation, is really important because that vegetation will vary depending on where you are. Well, Scotland, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. We are going to get into this. I know. Oh. And the second point, I just wanted to get onto. Let me finish. Let me finish. Don't, don't, uh, don't show a lot of no, 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 no. I'm, st I'm going to stop there. And the second part was uh, the lack of oxygen. That's amazing, isn't it? Because when you um, go back in time, people, when they were having their 21st birthday party a couple of thousand years ago, would, uh, you know, if you lost your auntie or lost your granddad or something like that, they would uh, mummify people and put them in peat bogs and dip them in the water and leave them there for years or months or whatever it was. But then they would bring them back out for their like significant birthday parties or, you know, sun dances or whatever it was that they were doing. <laughs> and because crazy. there's no oxygen in the water there in the peat bogs, it preserves bodies fabulously. So there are a number of peat mummies, basically, that have been found um, in Scotland that are thousands of years old that are unbelievably well preserved. So just be careful, Mitch, if you're out there digging peat. You might, you might dig up an old ancestor of yours. Can you imagine that? Going back to that story, though, bringing up your ancestor for a little part. Let's bring up Auntie May quickly. Here, <laughs> Here she, she is. is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't be a party without her. <laughs> She's been dead for 10 years, man. <laughs> Brutal. Right, so 
I mean, I think when, when we're talking about Pete and the history of whiskey, right? As a lot of you guys listening will know, when we talk about our first whiskies that were made in Scotland, they all would have been peated because that was our only fuel source. Uh, you know, obviously, as time progresses through, we find coal, we find gas, and that takes over a lot of the, the drying process for the barley. But the original whiskies would all have been peated, heavily peated, uh, when we're talking about the first style of Scotch whiskey. So arguably, when you, when you look at these big Isla styles that still exist today, that is a true reflection of how all Scotch whiskey would have been. I think what's what's interesting is when you have regions like Speyside, which become so popular, they were really uh, talked to by the blenders. The blend Speyside did start messing about with some peated whiskey. The blenders said to them, you know what, we can get that from Isla. Don't worry about that. Just stick to that fruity uh, floral style of whiskey because that's what we need for our blended whiskey here. So, you know, you, you can kind of see the way Scotch history progressed with regards to peat and how it got cut out, pun intended, and how it kind of stayed in certain aspects of production. Yeah, it wouldn't have just been flavour, though. Um, time is a big factor as well. Uh, peat slows, it's a slow burning fuel, isn't it? It, it mm. doesn't generate huge amounts of heat. Now, in your kiln, if you're drying, you know, tons of barley and driving off moisture, you'll, it'll take you a long time to do that with peat. Yeah. It'd probably take you a week, to be honest. You know, the volumes that we're sort of thinking of at a lot of distilleries today, um, which is why you use coke, which is a sort of smokeless, uh, odorless fuel. Um, that drives off the moisture. That's what dries the barley, gets it down to that 5% moisture content level where it's stable, and then you leave it, let the peat fix for 20 days, 21 days, and away you go. So the the fuel is is a flavoring peat is a flavoring if you like it, it flavors the barley and it was used to dry barley but it's slow and and that that was a factor as well it wasn't just about flavor yeah it's true I mean, it's one of the things i always say to people peat is actually a really bad heat source yeah but it would have been the only thing that would have been available um and then you and i Daz, have, have done some peat cutting before let's talk about that yeah uh, I, I did my first one on isla with pinky of all people, uh, legend that is Pinky, yeah, over on Lagavulin. I think that was, uh, I hate to say it, mate, I think it was in 2009. Yeah. Yeah, it's good times, though, over in Isla, and you just get the uh, the peat cutter. What's it called again? A, 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 is it a tar, tar scare, I think it is? Yeah. I think that's how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. This long uh, kind of spade, very narrow spade. Dig it down into the wet peat, pull it up, and you get these peat bricks, essentially leave them to dry, in these, uh, how would you call it? Like, I don't know, you kind of stack them up so the air can blow through them. And then uh, when it dries off, then it's good to burn. So yeah, really yeah. cool to see it getting farmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's cool. Um, yeah, a bit of peat cutting out there on Isla, enjoyed. Um, and I guess the vegetation back then would have been quite, you know, 5,000 years plus. It would have been quite green and bushy and woody and things like that. Up in Orkney, um, it's, a, it's actually a little bit like a Nutella that you're cutting through. It's a bit different. You know, you're cutting through very clean layers. Uh, Yarfi, moss, and fog were the three layers that we classified within the peat hill there. I know there's different words in different places for the layers, but and that's about a metre and a half as you cut through it, but it's really, really smooth. A little mm. bit fibrous at the top, as you'd imagine, where some of the roots were from you know, the most recent decompositions. Uh, but then when you get right down to the bottom, it's like a big slab of Nutella, really smooth, almost no fibres left at all. But if you caught it on a good day, you might get a wee axe head or a wee Viking coin or, or something like that, you know? Kind of relating to your whole pirate thing, you'd be loving that. 
Yeah, yeah, it's basically just free treasure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, when you hit when you hit a, a something that might be of historical significance, you do have to phone Historic Scotland, and it's a bit of a nightmare because it means that you have to stop peat cutting yeah, yeah, until they course. can come up, and they're not usually you know there in twenty four hours. You know, it can take them a few days, if not a couple of weeks, to get up. So it's no surprise to see that all the Viking stuff that's ever found is in the same corner of the peat hill. <laughs> it's probably just popped it over there so yeah, you can right. carry on yeah <laughs> all right well listen let's park the whole peak conversation right now we're going to come back to that in a second let's talk about what's been going on in the world of whiskey right first thing we're going to talk about is the world's smallest bar which has been created by cask 88 uh now this sits in Princess Street, I think for the almost for the duration of the festival so which is uh most of August. Set, they've set it up right next to Johnny Walker Princess Street, which I think is pretty funny. Uh, you can go online and you can book in uh, a place at this whiskey bar. There's only two seats at it, uh, so hence the world's smallest whiskey bar, but kind of cool. Daz, I think we should go over there and record a little episode from it, and that'd be kind of fun. I'm into that, big time. Let's yeah. do that. Yeah. So next thing I saw in the news recently was uh, McAllen have done quite an interesting collaboration with the band Mogwai. Um, and they've created the background music for uh, the the eighty one year old. What's that called? Uh, the, the so hands? the eighty one year old. It's not called the hands. No, it's called the reach. Yes. So they've they've created a song for the eighty one year old, and they were actually up at the distillery last month doing a gig up there as well. Quite an interesting collaboration, I thought, for McAllen to 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 do such a sort of I'd say quite I'd say Mogwai are quite a, a sort of left field band. They're quite out there. They're not exactly really well known. Good yeah, Scottish Mogwai, band. Yeah, but... good Scottish band. Uh, very creative, aren't they? Very involved in the creation of of music. I know they've got a music studio in Glasgow's West End, and a couple of guys I know that are based out of there. Um, interesting place, definitely. Um, but yeah. It's a cool collaboration. I mean, I think yeah. whiskey-wise, I'd love to try that McAllen in particular. I mean, some of the old McAllens I have tried up, up towards 60-plus years are incredible. I mean, they've aged fabulously well, and I'd be really interested to see how this one is. Is that a subtle hint, Daz, to all your ex-colleagues at yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, McAllen there? 100%. That would be lovely. That would be very kind of them. Yeah. <laughs> Should they have... Uh, Lots of samples sloshing about of, of the 81-year-old. Yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure they do, mate. I'm sure there's a whole warehouse full of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, look, um, there was some big news there from the guys at the Lag Distillery heading over to the west from Speyside over to Arran. Uh, Lag, new distillery on Arran, um, or relatively new, is now producing a product, which is great. So I think the first product comes out very shortly um, with a couple of expressions, uh, it sounds like there's going to be a lovely element of peak coming through. Mariella's uh, going to give us a little bit more information about what's happening at LAG, what to expect and what's exciting. So we're fortunate enough to be joined by Mariella Romano, who is the global ambassador and brand manager for Isle of Arran Distillers. Mariella, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. One of the things, you know, going back to sort of our history was I decided to cycle around Aaron. I remember emailing you and saying, can you hook me up at the distilleries? And, and it's just such a beautiful cycle. Uh, taking in the two distilleries at the time as well, my first time going to Lag, which we're going to chat a little bit about later on here. Uh, but yeah, you've got quite a lucky job looking after those two distilleries and going over to Aaron quite a lot, I'd imagine. I always say I couldn't have joined at the best, like in a more perfect time. I joined in 2019. 
almost four years ago. And um, yeah, so much has happened, like an island that is constantly changing and evolving, but also a company that has grown and come so far in the last 27 years. It's a privilege, a, a joy to have shared like, you know, this journey for the past four years, a brand new, you know, style of bottles for Locranza Distillery in the Iron Single Malt. So a huge rebrand, a brand new distillery. I don't think everybody as um, you know, ticked that on their list in their lifetime achievements to see a distillery literally being built, releasing like you know, distilling the very first spirit, and then also releasing the first single malt. I am, I know how lucky I am. I definitely know that. Yeah, just just on that, then Mariella. I mean, before we dive into talking about lagging things, I always talk about Aaron as the the oldest of the new distilleries. It, it came about <laughs> at quite an unusual time. There wasn't a lot of action going on in new distilleries and things when Aaron was built. And at 20 years fast forward, 25 years fast forward, a lot's changed. There's a lot of new distilleries and things. And that, that story is brilliant. And I think the repack that you just touched on there as well has had a massive impact, I think, on how Aaron is perceived because it looks fantastic. It looks really, really good and um, brilliant, brilliant work on that. That must have, uh, must have taken a lot of time to get to that stage. <laughs> for sure I mean I always credit my marketing manager because I don't think she does get the credit that she deserves Jackie she's a she's a powerhouse she's amazing but also the full marketing team and obviously the full like you know team on the island on the mainland and the company overall but um I joined just when that was gonna happen so I joined kind of like in the the last you know where the big work was already done <laughs> and I was just going around the world taking credit for it saying thank you yeah, to everybody perfect <laughs> that's what Mitch does with me Yep. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> no, but yeah, it was a long time coming. I remember my colleague Andy calling our bottles uh, the Frankenstein bottles because for so long we tweaked the old logo and we took the bottle and we took the Lego, the, the Lego, sorry, Lego obsessed, sorry, but the logo, not the Lego. And um, I think it was time for the company to show that maturity, you know, and that like, you know, wisdom and that experience that we gathered in the last at the time, 24, 25 years and actually show it in the product as well. And um, as we always say, as I always say, the truth is in the juice. Do not get fooled. We're still the same old team. We're still the same small distillery, the same passionate people. The liquid is still made exactly the same way, but it feels so good to have a range that looks like a family. For once, yeah. you know, they look like they all belong to each other. They're all connected in a way. And uh, since the rebirth in 2019, we saw so many new customers, so many new awards and uh, so many new conversations starting, starting, you know, because of our whiskey, which is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. So you take all of that knowledge and all of that experience and do it mm -hmm. all over again, right? That's exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> let's, let's get on to that, Maria. For, for, I'm sure everyone's very aware of the Aaron brand and Aaron whiskey. It's been around for a while, um, great liquids, but they might not be aware of, I suppose you call it, do you call it the sister distillery when you talk about lag? I know it's, you've kind of moved everything from Aaron, well, Locranza distillery that was all heavily peated. That's all do, getting done down in lag now and, and, and Locranza is just unpeated as, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I mean, we do call it sister distillery. <laughs> we are old friends and, um, we have stopped producing peated spirits in Locranza in 2017. You're right. That's when we acquired land on the south end of the island. And we, for those of you that are now like, you know, 
I mean, a little panic attack for all the macrimora and whiskey fans out there. We will still bottle the iron peated expressions. And, you know, there'll still be out in the world. We just don't know if and when, you know, we will stop releasing um, iron peated single malt. Just, it's just common sense. The best way to explain it for me, like, you know, to people, just common sense. When you have a brand new, exciting, beautiful distillery that is producing heavily peated whiskey, that it's mostly focused on experimenting with different barley varieties, different peat varieties. It's it just makes sense to move that peated, you know, conversation, that peated whiskey conversation to a new distillery and to keep producing the iron single malt at the core range that people love up in Lacrans and keep that focus for the original distillery. Um, so yeah, in a way, lag, I call it the playground distillery uh, okay. because it's it's new, it's exciting, and there's so much space, there's so much scope for experimentation. We've already done some fun parallel projects in the last three years. Um, we've done a classic blend of the birth, like I'm, I'm sure other distilleries have done that. So 50-50 uh, lag and Locranza spirit put together in cask and maturing away nicely. And the most fun actually we've done uh, was February this year. We got a hold of 20, no, 40, uh, Calvados casks from uh, uh, Calvados Duran in Normandy, and they were filled the same week, 20 up in Lacrans, 20 down in Lag, and I honestly cannot wait for the day that we release them side by side, just to see how a 50 ppm spirit from the southern part of the island and a non-peated spirit from the northern part of the island will change into these beautiful casks and just like, you know, contrast and compare. So there are a lot of fun things that we're doing. Iron Barley is one of them as well. We've done it in Locranza for the past, I want to say, eight years. So two weeks a year, we get some Iron Barley. But Lag is even better because we literally see the barley fields from the visitor center windows. So we know exactly who's producing what. It's right at our doorstep, right next to our orchard trees. And uh, for the first time this year, we actually, a month ago, if you were visiting the island a couple of weeks ago, I could have given you some iron barley uh, new make, which I was lucky enough to try, which was super tasty. Don't um, us with a good time. <laughs> you missed that. You missed that. You need to come back. We'll say we have seen some, so that you can try it. But yeah, the most exciting of the projects this year was the 100% iron barley, literally grown two meters away from our visitor center and distillery, which was then peated up to 90 ppm with Highland peat. Um, and obviously then distilled, you know, in our warehouse. So I'm going to be completely honest here. We don't do our maltings, you know, it's something that we haven't really looked into, but we do have very good relationship with maltsters in the mainland that can do that job for us. And the next step is source peat, maybe from the island, maybe from Ireland, maybe from the rest of the world and just experiment and, you know, just keep that peat um, you know, PPM, sort of like peated the uh, whiskey, our focus, you know, for the next few years. Um, we're going to release our single, our inaugural releases soon. So the first one is coming uh, very soon at the end of the month, early September, end of August. And then the other two will come by the end of the year. And then the lag single malt will come out next year in spring. So we have like a core range product available all year round, evergreen. And once all of those are out, that's when the fire like really, really starts. That's when we can start like, you know, distilling different things and sourcing different materials, like raw materials, peat, barley and everything else. So the future is bright and exciting for our yeah. like distillery. 
So we're going to have a little chat about Pete later on and, and just dig into some of the practicalities and some of the, the realities of, of, of using Pete. On Aaron, have you guys ever used local Pete before up at Locranza or, or, or at LAG? Yeah, you have done. Yeah. No, actually, we're not. Oh, sorry, I was okay. nodding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was nodding at to say, I know where you're coming from, but unfortunately we have not. Uh, it's something that we're definitely looking into at the moment just because it's a bit... Um, it's very hard, like license-wise document. I think um, the legality of it is a little bit hard to um, to get around. But um, I had a dream. I had a dream because when we um... keep going, that was quite good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like a bit of singing on the podcast. I do like a bit of singing, definitely. I can do the little uh, break, like you know, the little break singing in the middle. Yes. <laughs> of your podcast episode uh, uh that when we built our warehouses actually uh, when excavation was going on we did find peat and lag and all my you know my dreams were that like we were able to use that peat to like to make a peated like you know expression like you know and to connect the story mm-hmm. and the peat but when i asked the company when i asked my teammates uh, apparently it's a lot harder than that but it's definitely something that we will try and pursue in the future if not as i said before we will try and source peat elsewhere as well so as a company then you're actively looking at the story of terroir with Pete and you obviously believe there is something there I know you don't have the results yet to talk about but that's obviously something the company is very interested in and it's it's interesting to see that that happening right that and like absolutely we really we really want to keep that experimentation with Pete going in the future yeah. And can we talk about the these sort of three expressions that are coming out? I know it's like you, you're talking about different PPM levels. What's the what's the background between uh, with, with them? They're actually uh, the same um, spirit because at the beginning of our uh, you know our journey, we decided to um, to keep things easy. So to you know just produce a certain type of spirit for the first three four years, and then like you know once everything goes out, as I said before, just like you know it just comes out. Once everything is ready, we would just release it. So they're actually all fifty ppm barley wise. Um, we um, bottled, we finished all the batches in different um, firkin casks. And that's me saying Firkins, not something horrible with my Italian slash Scottish yeah, accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about that. Um, so they're all finishing. Batch number one is uh, bourbon casks. Batch number two will be a little Batch number three will be ex Rioja red wine cask. Or the 50% ABV, just to give it a little bit more of a hump. And it just is our way to, like, you know, showcase what you know Aaron sorry what lag actually this is like already and how we can you know like develop in different cast varieties uh the lag single malt will be similar I imagine it will be in bourbon casks when it'll come out and uh obviously 50 ppm uh and then yeah I, I know I feel like I'm I keep saying like you know the, there is way to wait I'm not the most patient of the people I talk about this like as I, and wishing that I had these products with me, like you know, in front of me right now. But it's uh, it will take some time. It will take a few years for us, you know, to release all of these experimentations and all the different whiskies. But it's um, it's a work in progress. And what from what you've tasted so far, mm-hmm. um, obviously your PPM is fifty at barley. It can vary massively in in the glass in the end. 
dependent on your casks and the style of the spirit and all that kind of stuff. How is it? How is it kind of nosing at the moment? Is it is it quite punchy or, or does it mellow quite quickly? I actually personally think it, it mellows. I was very fascinated to talk to Graham Moment, our distillery manager at the beginning uh, when we started distilling because it was just a work in progress and he was trying to find out the best cats, the best speed, you know, which they still like the fermentation, like everything to tweak it in such a way uh, that we had the product that we wanted. And I think we went in wanting that heftiness and wanted like, you know, the peatiness to come through. Uh, but as we filled a lot of first filled bourbon cask, we soon realized also how well the peat was responded to the sweetness of the bourbon cask. Uh, so to quote the broom, I'll say, we are really trying to get the West Coast uh, style of whiskey, if you know what I mean. Maybe we're mm. not in Isla territory. Maybe that's for the better, actually. <laughs> we're just being ourselves. Uh, but we're definitely, we're very happy with how the whiskey is tasting right now, which is, there's a little bit of that, like, you know, campfire smokiness. It's mainland peat, so it's more like aromatic, like, you know, smokiness and peatiness. Uh, but you can tell that there's definitely a difference between Lag and Locranza. It's a much, like, you know, heftier, a bit oilier, uh, spirit on the palate, the peatiness is definitely coming through with a bit more of a punch compared to Locranza, which is exactly what we wanted. Amazing. Yeah. Well, Next Maria, I, I, I'm like Daz and I are super excited to try it all. So we're looking forward to that invitation where all three of us go over to Aaron and, and sip some uh, down at Lag or up at Locranza, wherever you want to take us. You know, we're, <laughs> our, our diaries are, are wide open for that trip, right, Daz? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you can finish that sing song when we're over there as well. That would be quite good. <laughs> Definitely. Do it. Don't worry. I'll send you the songs. I have a whole playlist. Well, I'll drive around the island. It'll just uh, like sunny there. and sunny and share. We, <laughs> we, we could find a a karaoke bar on Broadock, right? I'm sure uh, there's, there's one definitely. over there. There's a karaoke bar yeah. everywhere, man. You, you just got to look for it. <laughs> we don't need the. We will make a karaoke bar in exactly. Broadock. Exactly. That's the attitude. That is the attitude. <laughs> well, Maria, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you coming on the show and uh, and chatting to us about all things uh, Aaron. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Looking forward to seeing you soon. Really cool to hear from her. And, I, you know, I um, I love talking to her about all this kind of stuff. She's so passionate about the brands and yeah. uh, always over in Aaron. Great on her Instagram as well. Like really mm -hmm. cool shots of what she's doing there. But yeah, I'm interested. Well, as we record this, the, the liquid wasn't available for us to taste, unfortunately. So she is going to send us some of that and we'll do uh, that in one of the episodes in the, the, the what we're drinking section for sure. Yeah, um, definitely. And not only does it sound like it tastes great, I know it looks great. Uh, some of the visuals and stuff from the lag bottlings look superb. Now, Mr. Mitch, um, when was the last time you were on Sky? Yeah, long time ago, mate. I haven't been to Sky since I've come back to Scotland. One of the reasons, I think, is just I hear all these nightmare stories about how touristy it is right now. Yeah, it's all these camper van people. People like Craig Holmes. Bloody Craig Holmes. Yeah. King in it. Um, yeah, so, but yeah, I know what you're getting to here. There's a new Talisker brand home that's just been sort of uh, unveiled, which is great to see Diageo investing even more into their distilleries because they've already done Princess Street. They've done mm -hmm. these four corners. I think Kalila's almost there. Uh, and during all that time, they've managed to get Talisker, a whole new brand home as well, which is which is pretty incredible. I mean, I love that distillery. I'm not going to lie. I haven't heard great things recently about people visiting Talisker. Mm. So it's good to see that they're they're upping their game here and they're, they're doing something a little bit different. Um, what are the details you've heard on it, Daz? 
Uh, I know that they've put in some lovely private client spaces that you won't be allowed in, but I yeah, will. Especially after saying yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, they'll have a nice bar up there. And I saw some nice videos from Ervin. Uh, we'll maybe get Ervin on to, to jump on and give us a wee chat through actually about what's happening up there. But yeah. what I was thinking is uh, Christmas night out. I know it's I know it's still early days. It's only August, but we could uh, we could head up to Sky for our Christmas night out, mate, and do a little podcast from up there. That would be fun. Yeah, done, done. Made by two, the sea. Two distilleries mm. to go and visit there now, mate. That's true. Very true. Yeah. Name the other one. Torveig. Oh, well done. He's on it today. Yeah. Yeah. On it. On it. All right, so because we're talking about Pete this week, we decided to give you some interesting facts about Pete that will not get you any new friends. First one is the United Kingdom contains a lot more peatland than most other countries, around about 2.7 million hectares, of which more than half is located in Scotland, which is just as well for us. Mm. Now, when we talk about uh, peatland being used for industrial use, that's a small proportion. Horticulture accounts for the majority of the annual peat extraction within the UK. Now, I know, I'm not sure if that's still correct, because I know down in England, they've actually banned um, garden centres now from selling peat. And that was a recent thing that just happened. Uh, and, and quite rightly so. We're going to get onto a little bit about mm. sustainability uh, of peat in just a second. Cool. Peat is everywhere, mate. It's found in 175 of the world's roughly 196 countries. Depending on the method of measurement, Russia and Canada are closely tied for the greatest peat deposits. How many languages can you say peat in? Uh, just barely one. That's Scottish. Yeah. I think it's Torf in Scandinavian and Torba in Russia. Yeah, look at you. In, in Canada, off. it's peat. <laughs> Showing show off with your, uh, your bisexual skills there. Look yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> All right, peatlands cover only around about 3% of the world's land area, but they store almost one-third of soil carbon, making them the largest soil carbon store. Globally, peatlands store twice as much carbon as all of the world's forests. That's crazy. Uh, that is crazy. And PPM, parts per million, uh, is the measurement we use to determine the sort of phenol content within malted barley after killing and before it's been whacked through a distillery and ends up in your glass. So we normally talk about PPM in terms of the final barley PPM, the phenol content of the barley, rather than what's in your glass at the end. Which I think's wrong, right? I, I don't know how everyone listening, if they agree with me on this or not, but I think we should talk about more about what's in the glass as opposed to how it started. Well, you, got you to... say that, but it's harder. It would be just for a... a I think what, what you do is you end up going down this massive rabbit hole of detail that is unnecessary right if it tastes good and you like it enjoy it don't not try it because in the glass it's 6 ppm do you know what i mean whereas mm. in the distillery it was 25 ppm but because yeah. it's been fermented and distilled and matured the phenols have dropped off you don't want people not trying a whiskey because of that do you know what i mean i know what you're saying yeah. it's a tricky one but right Daz, let's get back into our friend pete see what's going on here um we've talked about his history how it's made its way into whiskey. Mariella, Mariella touched briefly on kind of how they're going to be experimenting with different styles of peat to see if that's going to make any difference in the whiskey, which I think is really interesting. And it will be be fascinating to see if there's any other um, whiskey makers out there that's going to start experimenting with that. Mm -hmm. Like from my experience, I think this is something that's got a huge influence on flavor. 
Most people in the industry talk about terroir not having a big part to play in barley, but I think most kind of now agree that it relates to peat, right? So to break this down into its very basic form, if you try a Laphroaig, which obviously is a very well-known Isla whiskey, it's renowned for that medicinal TCP character, uh, you know, that we've come to expect from a lot of the heavily peated Isla whiskies. Now, those guys all source their peat locally from Isla, which is then malted at the Port Ellen maltings. So then if we look at a malt that's been peated on the mainland using Highland peat, let's take, for example, Balvenie week of peat, there's more of this bonfire heather smoke uh, in there. It's less of that coastal influence that's coming through, which you'd expect from Isla. I mean, you think about that peat there, it's it's getting lashed by the Atlantic all the time. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of where, where we're at right now when we're talking about terroir within peat. And it's uh, I think it's a really sort of fascinating subject. No, totally. There's, there's a, I, I, I've heard this a few times. There's a mossiness and a peatiness to Isley peat. Yeah. Whereas on the mainland, there's a bonfire smokiness to the peat. You don't get as much of that really rich, heavy mossiness. So there is like a peat and smoke. You're almost looking for two different things sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's great when you get all the little combinations and variations that are these two things dancing around. And it's, well, it's interesting because, I mean, when, when we talk about this, if we're going to go a little bit deeper here, we go back to 1946. And there's a lady called Kathleen Blackburn, and she started conducting in-depth examination of Barra's peat. Now, this looked at, like, the different plant matter found in these different areas. And she, from that, she began to create a map of Britain's lost and changing landscape. Uh, and she discovered that, that peat wasn't all the same, and it was all varied. This obviously opened up a can of worms for the whiskey industry. Then we fast forward to 20, sorry, 2006, and the Scotch Whiskey Research Institute steps in to conduct a study on different peat types from Orkney, three sites on Isla, Tom and Tal in Speyside, and St. Fergus, uh, in the, which is in the northeast mainland. Now, interestingly enough, they found that the St. Fergus peat had more woody deposits with the space side having more of that mossy component. So what this meant was that the mainland peat would give off more smoke over the space side peat, to your point, Daz. They also find the difference between Orkney and Isla peat, with Isla peat again having more heather in there. So this stu study basically confirms that terroir does exist within peat. And Daz, I know you you kind of had a little bit of a, a look at this study when you were up at Highland Park, right? And you guys yeah. kind of got into this a little bit a bit more when you're up there. Yeah, we talked about um, we talked about this a little bit on the on the last episode. There were quite a lot of trials in peat, uh, or up on Orkney Highland Park, own Hobbister Moor, and Hobbister Moor looks into Scapa Flow, and it's their peat hill. Um, now there's plenty of peat there for Highland Park to be digging away and using that for for many 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 a year to come. Um, but what we found on Orkney with Highland Park peat, it's it's the the vegetation there four or five thousand years ago. It was kind of as it was today. It was still very windy up there uh, in between the North Sea and the Atlantic Ocean. So for tall vegetation trees and things like that to grow, uh, it was almost impossible. Even though it was warmer back then, um, it was a, a different type of climate, um, it was still fairly windy. So nothing was growing that tall. So that, that has an impact, of course, then on what that peat is made up of. And it was mainly shrubs uh, and heathers. That, that's the main sort of makeup of those peats. And the peat beds in Orkney are quite old as well. So they are quite well decomposed. Mm. Um, and again, that means that there's there's less of the, the woodiness and lignans and things like that that sit within the peat 
uh, which would then burn and give you that kind of wood smoke. Um, what we found was a, almost an incense kind of aroma, heathery kind of aroma that does come off of, of Highland Park's uh, sort of smoky characters. Um, and it is, it is very, very soft. We, we called it aromatic peat at the time. You know, one of the five keystones was aromatic peat from Orkney and, and I think it still is. Uh, it's they peat everything themselves through the floor maltings there and bring in unpeated barley to the island. And what they do then is is blend that together and then take it through, uh, you know, mashing and distilling and stuff. So yeah, a, a big difference in Orkney peat. Even burns with a different color. I don't know if you know that. Um, Orkney peat burns white. Isley peat burns with a slight purple hue to it. No, that's cool. Did not mm. know that. Mm. Every day's a school day. Well, I think that's what we should do. We should get something on Instagram about this. Get people's yep. comments about what different peated styles of whiskey that they've tried and what they get as as their kind of difference in there. Well, that's so, right. I mean, there, there's so many different ones now around the world, right? Smoky whiskeys from all over the place that are using yeah. their own uh, peat sources and stuff. One, once, once upon a time, I was in Japan. I don't know if I told you this. I don't know if we've spoken about this, but I was doing a, a session with one of the Japanese uh, bartender groups and it was on peat, and we actually got some peat from Yuichi, um, which is uh, on a coastal area of, of Japan. And we compared Orkney peat, Eilie peat, and Yuichi peat with one another, and we just had the blowtorches out, and we were kind of smelling the aromas as we were getting them off. And we had the whiskies as well lined up next to one another that had been influenced by these peats. And it was just so brilliant. I mean, at a, at a very fundamental level, you can smell the difference quite significantly. Um, now, it wasn't a scientific test, but it was very anecdotally, you know, a brilliant way of showing people who haven't visited all of those places, you know, how flavor is impacted by where those things came from. And it was so obvious on the nose, really, really obvious. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Very geeky. Yeah, it was. I like it. Get the belly button fiddlers out. So I know a few of you listening We'll be asking yourself, you know, if we're digging up something that's thousands of years old here, there must be a sustainability piece going on. And yeah, you'd be right to ask that. We've kind of touched on this already, but as an industry, we account for a very small part of peat being dug up, uh, you know, and the hort horticulture guys being the villains here. But it doesn't mean that the conversation's not being had within Scotch whiskey, right? And, and kind of interestingly enough, when we go back to 2016, Diageo funded a peat restoration project of 700 acres on Isla. Um, and that was part of the Lagavulin 200th anniversary legacy fund. Uh, we have a small whiskey called Craig Dew whiskey, uh, and that sources unpeated Speyside whiskey and donates some of the proceeds of its sales towards peatland conversation, uh, conversation, mm -hmm. conservation, conservation. And, and conversation. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, I believe that's the only whiskey brand to do that, but get in contact if you know someone else who does that. Um, and then the SWA is committed to net zero emissions by 2040 uh, with the Scottish government's 2020 commitment to spend 250 million on peatland restoration through to 2030. So the SWA, they've, they've actually does get this. They've got a peat action plan, mm. which I quite like. So that plan includes sector research to gain more with uh, with regards to less reduction in extraction, reduce, reducing emissions and damage at extraction sites uh, and understanding best practice, reducing emissions and runoff after extraction and funding peatland restoration in Scotland alongside the Scottish government, which we've already uh, mentioned. 
And then the last one that I want to bring you in on here, Daz, is this um, thing, this this part that, that Edrington did, and this was back in 2020. Uh, so with McAllen Highland Park and Glenrothes, among their other brands, they did a partnership with the RSPB. Mm. That's actually a lot. It goes back a lot longer than that. Um, we we were renting, uh, rent. When I say renting, I mean we we had a, a relationship with the RSPB. Where we... Actually, hold on. Wait a minute, Daz. Just if anyone's listening from abroad, explain what the RSPB is. Oh, sorry. Yes, the Royal Society for the Protection of Beshards. No, I'm only joking. For the protection of birds. Uh, so it's all about uh, making sure that the habitats, because let's face it, whilst we talk about peat, it's a fuel that we use to flavor barley, um, but it's a habitat for many, many animals. And the, yeah. the heather moors and things where peat would usually sit underneath um, are, are a really essential part of you know the ecosystems of Scotland. So uh, there's lots of birds, there's lots of voles, there's lots of wee bits and pieces, wee beasties and things that live within all these. Uh, so we have to look after them. So we'd, we'd rented out, Hobbister Moor to the RSPB for one pound a year so that they could carry out, you know, the necessary research and things like that. They could gain access to population counts and just keep an eye on sort of species levels and things. So there was one in particular, which was the red-throated diver that there was a lot of interest in uh, and there were cameras set up all year round and people all over the world could log in and check these red-throated divers out uh, doing whatever it is that a red-throated diver does. Um, so <laughs> it was, there's uh, a joke in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, there is. Uh, so those those wee guys were quite cool, but to obviously we, we, we still needed access to the Peat Hill May and June. So what we would do is we would actually cut the heather away um, at a deep level and, and lift it and move it to the side. We'd dig through the peat and then we'd replace the heather back on top uh, so that we weren't disturbing things too much. And then also allowing the regeneration of the peat hill. Um, so, you know, the, the relationship with the animals of the land was, was a really important part of that. And we took a lot of guidance also as well from the RSPB just on, you know, how things were going on, on, on the peat hill. Um, but then also we would manage as best we could uh, you know the cutting and, and and things like runoff run you know you've got to dig channels there's a lot of water in these peat moors you know the peat bogs and things so you've got to kind of manage that as well and make sure that it's you know moist enough and everything so that all the animals that do live there normally can continue to live there so you don't change it fundamentally so yeah there's actually quite a lot of work that goes into it um usually the assistant manager at the distillery would look after it it was kind of their responsibility to to run the peat cutting uh, to get the team in for the summer months and it was usually kids that were coming back from uh summer holidays from their uh uni uh and, cool. and quite often related to the guys at the distillery and things so eric smith was smithy was the boy that used to be the assistant distillery manager and um, and he would his son reese would come up and work with pete hill and things like that and a few of his buddies would come along and stuff so they're all mm. uh you know fit fit young guys um i, I don't know if there's, i'm sure there's some females now involved in peat cutting up there as well H historically it was a kind of man's job but Hopefully that's changed, and yeah, a brilliant, brilliant thing to do. A great way to spend the summer, you know. Yeah, it's good. It's good to hear that. I mean, I remember going up to the Cabrac, which is you know just outside of of Dufftown, and seeing all the um the the peat cutting that went on there, and it was ridiculous. I mean, it literally looked like an amphitheater mm -hmm. because that much had been done of it, you know, way back in the day, um, and obviously none of that had been replaced and 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 looked after at all. But it just kind of shows you that, like back in the olden days, I suppose a lot of it was being done without any thought for anything because they weren't thinking about sustainability at that point in time. And it was just a fuel source to make whiskey. Right. So and yeah, a fuel and, source and, for the fires. Well, that's right. Exactly. For the home fires and things too. Yeah. So, I mean, it is, it's a, 
yeah, it's one of those. It is what it is. And I think now that there's the focus and there's the interest, there's the knowledge, experience and all that to look after these places properly. Um, you know, the the headline I read in the paper there the other week that kind of stimulated our conversation was, you know, there, there will be no more smoky whiskey. Um, and it'll be interesting to get the view from the SWA on what their recommendation is after their action plan has been fully carried out on on what the right way forward is. Um but it'd be a hard one to predict. I mean, I sense that using it to smoke and flavor barley feels sustainable. Um, using it to dry barley and uh, fill, you know, raised beds and fertilize gardens and stuff feels like a totally different scale of uh, yeah. task, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. Right, mate. Well, I don't know about you, but that's me all petered out. Um, can I just say that was episode 31 and we didn't even celebrate episode 30. We totally, we totally missed that one. Oh, it's our 30th. That's yeah. cool, isn't it? Well, it's our 30, 30th official episode, but I think we're actually closer to 45. Right. Because of oh, all the, 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 the mini ones that we do in between. So Nice. Well, well done, mate. Yeah. Yeah, congratulations, man. <laughs> <laughs> right, mate, enjoy, uh, enjoy your weekend. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. May all your whiskeys be smoky, saucy, and delightful. Nice, dude. Like it. How was that? Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> and we're out. Stop recording.